Welcome to Dog Talk and Kitties Too. This episode features one of the three guests who were part of my weekly hour-long NPR show broadcast over the air every Sunday on WLIW-FM 88.3, the only NPR station on Long Island, where it is broadcast continuously for 14 years. I'm Tracy Hotchner. I wrote the Dog Bible, Everything Your Dog Wants You to Know, as well as the Cat Bible, Everything Your Cat Expects You to Know. I'm also the founder and director of the New York Dog Film Festival. The 8th annual New York City premiere will be October 2023, along with the 5th annual New York Cat Film Festival before traveling the country, supporting local animal welfare groups. This show is about dogs, cats, and other creatures who share the planet with us. Please check out my other Pet Talk podcasts at TracyHotchnerPets.com. I would not be able to bring you this show without the generous support of Dr. Elsie's, the privately owned litter and cat food company founded by Dr. Bruce Elsie, a feline-only veterinarian. He personally created many styles of litter to make sure that even the fussiest cats would not have out-of-litter box problems, the number one reason people abandon their kitties. Dr. Elsie also created his own brand of cat food called Clean Protein, the first dry cat food I can recommend because it's based on the protein found in a cat's natural prey. This show would not be possible without the longtime support from Waruva, the pet food company founded and privately run by David Foreman, who named it after his rescued kitties, Webster, Rudy, and Vanessa. Waruva is a quirky name for a company with whimsical names for the dozens of different cans and pouches of cat food they make. But what sets them apart is how serious David is about high-quality nutrition. They were the first pet food company to use human edible ingredients and process them in the same facilities that make human food. Other pet food companies may have copied them over time, but Waruva remains privately owned and run, accountable only to their own high standards, not investors who focus on profits. I am so pleased to have Jennifer Wheeler back on the show for a different reason than the fact that she runs what I think is one of the coolest dog fun services in the world, New York City Doggies, where she takes dogs hiking with her husband, Ovidio Stoika, who is a also a dog trainer, behaviorist, and minder, but they have written a book that I just cannot, if there was a Tracy seal of approval, it would totally have it, Whole Dog Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise and Train an Urban Pup, and City Dogs Are So Different than sort of free-roaming or free-wheeling country dogs. But I think the book makes clear that most dogs are urban. Most dogs don't have freedoms. And Jennifer, I just can't say enough about the delight in reading this book. I, I kind of held my breath a little when I started because I'm pretty picky and pretty opinionated. That's putting it mildly. And I thought, I hope that I align with her and that she and I have ideas sort of in similar. And if there's things that are way off track, I'll just ignore them. Because I think what you do is so great, taking city dogs hiking in New York City, but also just philosophically the belief that dogs need to be dogs. So I just have to say, I mean, we are just in absolute synchrony. And, the, and really, you even gave me new ideas about what really works for dogs and how to make their life better. So what was the point in running your business with your husband where you take all these really cool city dogs, many of whom have never really been free, and take them off in the, in the, the fields, the woods, the, the mountains? 
What made you think, oh, I know, we're going to spend a huge part of our life writing a book? Why did you think this book was needed? So I, I, we have seen over the last decade or so a huge increase in anxiety and behavioral problems with the city dogs that we deal with on a day-to-day basis. And we think that it is sort of a convergence of, of two things going on that aren't being addressed in other books or literature. One is most dogs are urban dogs now, even even if they're suburban, yes. we consider that urban because they deal with this, a lot of the same kind of issues. Most dogs are urban, um, and a lot of the old literature doesn't take that into consideration because there are restrictions and things are harder, and in order to really raise a dog properly in an ur- urban environment, it has to be thoughtful. And that has converged with a second issue we see is um, – owners, quote-unquote, being told that the the work they do with their dog and the problems that arise can be outsourced in a way, that um, they can be fixed by something that is external to the relationship with their dog, um, which is why we call it parenting, because we think just, just reframing it as parenting um, shifts the way we think about that relationship. Uh, I it's like not that. One that can be uh, yeah, that's you explain that really well. I didn't notice you particularly explaining that in the book. The urban versus suburban part was a light bulb moment for me. I thought, yeah, dogs that live anywhere that just have a fenced yard, it's still mm-hmm. urban because they still can't express all their dogginess, which you go into mm-hmm. in such compassionate detail in the book. But I liked. I didn't know why I liked the word parenting, and I don't like the the way that it's used colloquially, like, oh, you shouldn't say guardian or you sh- or you could say guardian, but don't say owner, but you really say your dog parent, but it's not parenting. It's more like right. mama, baby, coo, 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 not really doing thoughtful, as you said, thoughtful decisions about how to help this dog have a good life, not its own best life like Oprah, just have a good dog life Yeah, and tell exactly. people what is a good dog life. I'm sure that you... And that it's lifelong. It's a, yes, it's a, you have exactly. this creature for its life. Yep. And it's not just puppies. It's training an urban pup, not a puppy. Right. Although there's right. lots of stuff about little dogs and the challenges of how to get them out of a, a high-rise building with an elevator, and they need to mm-hmm. pee. I mean, there's just so many things that, that other books don't really deal with. They say, yeah, just take the dog out. They don't talk mm-hmm. about all the mechanics of what happens when you do that. And then you talk about sidewalks being pretty mm-hmm. difficult places to eliminate. I mean, not mm-hmm. natural, right? I mean, these are mm-hmm. things that no other books really talk about. Mm-hmm. Gutters yeah. and sidewalks. Yeah. I mean, and- our hope was that they, that when people pick up this this book, it has most of everything they need to, to be able to deal with the things that come up as they're raising their dog in the city. Or raising their dog in a place where they have to control their dog at all times, exactly. pretty much. I mean, that's really the issue. You grew up in Vermont. I live in Vermont. For me, right. the the joy of it is that my dogs don't have to, I, you know, you have a great chapter on leashes versus harnesses versus collars. And mm-hmm. I thought, you know, I, I really have always avoided having a leash dog because 
I don't like it. I don't like being attached by a leash to my dog. I like my dog to be free and watch them and enjoy them being dogs. But that's very, very lucky on my part and on their part and very uh, unrealistic for most people. It's, you know, that that isn't an option. It simply isn't possible. You you talk about fear. You give some Mm -hmm. wonderful examples that really touched me a lot. And made me think of a lot of people whose dogs are living a really emotionally constricted, stressful life, and the people don't realize it. It was about the little one of the little dogs that you took hiking, and mm-hmm. how people have said to you repeatedly, and we've all heard other people say this, and some of us may have said it ourselves, including me about Wanda. Oh, my dog just doesn't like other dogs. Oh, my dog mm-hmm. just doesn't like um, water to get their feet wet. A lot of things that this dog had, and you dispelled them all by taking this dog on a hike and not forcing the dog, not throwing mm-hmm. him in the deep end, if you will, and forcing the dog to walk on the ground with other dogs. You carried mm-hmm. him the first few times. Talk a little mm-hmm. bit about how this book is there for people whose dogs have what I think are owner-created neuroses, fears, anxieties, yeah. uh, phobias, uh, allergies, not skin allergies, but I'm allergic to other dogs. I'm allergic to mm-hmm. uh, the, you know, the doorbell. Talk a little bit about that because I, I think the compassion in whole dog parenting is the really beautiful part from my perspective. It's really, it really helps people understand, not blame them, but I'm blaming them. I know someone who carries her Havanese around in a front sling, a 70-plus-year-old woman whose dog rarely puts his feet down. They live in New York City on Park Avenue, and they do have a house in Mm -hmm. Vermont. The dog is in a sling all the time, including going to restaurants and into stores in a sling. I find it so disturbing. Can we talk a little bit about that trend in in urban living with animals, dog animals? Yeah. So first of all, thank you. Um, we, we, we hope that people read it as compassionate. Um, because one of, one of the things that we see is when, when people have dogs who have fears, they withhold them, they, they restrain them from the fears. They don't have to be exposed to the fears. Mm -hmm. They say, well, my dog is happy not having xyz experience correct my dog is okay being carried in a sling she's happy he's happy the problem is you've taken away really rich stimulating important life experiences from your dog who's not a person the dog (laughs) the dog needs other things and you, you don't solve that issue um by creating a world where those scary things don't exist. Right. You solve the issue by properly socializing your dog. And, it, and if we could change one thing about um, how urban dogs are raised, it, it's the socialization aspect. Because it's, you know, cities and sub- suburbs are rich places. Yes. Where you can do this. Dogs can have a wonderful life, especially with respect to, to people and dogs and meeting friends and all of that. They, they do have to be socialized, though. So. And you can do it later in their life. I mean, there, also you, you address the idea that a dog is racist. I mean, my sister had a dog. She lived on East 73rd Street. And this dog, Luca, who I mistakenly bought her, it was a cross between a, a Jack Russell and a Corgi, which sounds adorable. It's At least he and his brother, it was a litter that happened at a horse show, on purpose, um, 
was the worst traits of both breeds. But he would growl mm-hmm. and snarl when black people walked by. Mm-hmm. And, you know, that happens in urban settings. Could be an Asian person, could be even, you talk about a, a person with dwarfism and how embarrassing mm-hmm. that was for you when your dog reacted yeah. so poorly to that. Talk a little bit about other cultures, other odors, other clothing styles, hairstyles, what it is that a dog is reacting to. And we give it this ridiculous human thing, oh, he's a racist. Oh, the dog doesn't right. like Hispanics. It's like, what? So No, what the dog you... is reacting to difference. The yes. dog is reacting to what they haven't been exposed to and they don't know. Um, and it will have, whatever that unknown thing is, um, it's it's not, I mean, I hate when people say racist because racist, right. racism is historical, it's institutional, and it's about malice. Yes, um, unknown and it's or human. Not. And totally this, human. This is, yeah, it's human. This is not racism, and this is something that can be solved by socializing and exposing your dog um, to differences as many as you can, as often as you can, um, in in any way that you think this might come like anything you might encounter in your life. So if you live in a city, there's no excuse for this because it's pretty easy um, to encounter people of, of all stripes, you know. So if you're in the park or you could sit on a bench somewhere, what would you say to like Luca, this dog that had this re- this negative reaction, this fearful reaction, really, barking and growling is fear, to it seemed like to black people. Would it be Spend to a ask a black person, could we hang out with you? I don't think it was Absolutely. the color of their skin. Could be hair products, the odor of hair products, skin products. Could be, could, I don't know what else. What else could it be? I mean, the dog is so driven by odor, which humans are barely at all. So it could something it's like that. I, I mean, it's, it's interesting because um, elderly people have a different, Right smell and kids have different smell and yes. and some dogs get worked up about that. Yet the solution is, yeah, come over to my house. Can we spend some time together? Um, go to neighborhoods uh, right. where you know, go to a coffee shop, spend more time at the park, interact with more people who are different, um, so that your dog. And in the best way, if if you do this when your dog is a puppy, you're you're never going to develop those fears. That's not to say it's ever too late. It's it's not. It just takes more work when they're older. And it just has to be done slowly and thoughtfully, as you would with a yeah. with a human child that you were parenting in the sense that, no, they're not humans, but you would never say to a kid who says, I don't want to go in that, that room looks scary or that building looks scary, you would say, just come on, you know, put on your little big girl pants and go on in there. You would do it thoughtfully and slowly and, and yeah. gently. Of yeah, of course. Um, everything would be incremental. Um, and you go you push them a little bit and then you do something in this sort of that there's a zone between being really afraid and acting very badly and showing some signs of anxiety and being relaxed. So you go to that area of some signs of anxiety and you do something that relaxes your dog. You play like for our dog, it would be play. Right. Um, um, you engage them and distract them in a way. So all of a sudden, Oh, they're comfortable. And then next time you push them a little further. Right. So you basically deal with a bit of discomfort and then give them something that for them is delightful and comforting. It's it's also yeah. common sense, but I've never seen it said in a book the way you do, which is putting your dog in a bubble, denying your dog experiences which the dog wasn't comfortable with to begin with, like getting their feet wet, 
like mm-hmm. other dogs. Maybe they just, you know, were a less sociable animal than another dog, but dogs are pack animals and they really have a great time. Some of mm-hmm. them with just a few dogs, some of them with more dogs, but to deny them any dog interaction is mm-hmm. is almost cruel. It's sort of yeah, like saying yeah. about, you know, the chimpanzees that we used to, I hope it's the past tense, keep in solitary cages to do yeah. experiments on them when they're the most social, you know, social animals that need a family and need to do many things physically touching other chimpanzees. So dogs are yeah. like that too. Now, an individual might be more or less inclined, but the less you, if they have those doubts and fears, and then you support it by keeping them away from other dogs, mm-hmm. you've reinforced it, right? I mean, that's sort of, of the beauty of this book is that it's when when someone reads it, they think, oh, duh. There's a lot of those moments in the book where you think, well, this makes so much sense. I wish someone had told me this before. <laughs> it's really helpful. Think, it's really helpful you. because I have one of my dogs who I raised from puppyhood and did everything by the book. I mean, it was my book, the dog Bible, but I, that was only based on research of everything I could find anywhere. Exposed her to everything, exposed her mm-hmm. to every size and type of dog, all good experiences, nothing bad ever happened. And she hit puberty. I kept her intact till she was a year and a half. And she just took it in, in her mind that other dogs had to be driven away. So, you know, I, I need to give her more dogs to hang out with and find out that they're not so terrible. I think that that's yeah, really the message human. in the book yeah. is, you know, what you can offer your dog and, and how you can help your dog develop into a life that's great for them and makes them a great companion for us. Mm-hmm. It, it, yeah. You really, you must be wonderful parents to your human children. That's all I can say. I mean, everybody <laughs> thinks, oh, I'm making mistakes and it's going to be horrible when they're teenagers. But I'm going to guess that you are wonderful parents to your human children because you are wonderful parents to your dogs, and also, by extension, to the rest of us and our and our dogs. Jennifer Wheeler, you and your husband have written a wonderful book, Whole Dog Parenting, Everything You Need to Raise and Train an Urban Pup. I look forward to talking to you more about, more about specifics on my training show, Good Dogs. But in the meanwhile, this is just a great book for anyone, especially if you have friends with dogs that you think could have a better life or a different life. Get them this book. See if if when they read it, they don't have a light bulb moment themselves. Thank you so much, Jennifer. Thank you so much for having me. Thanks for listening. There are a few more special companies that make this show possible. I hope you will try their products because they support my mission to entertain you with valuable information and advice. This show is supported by Wonderside, a company founded and run by a woman entrepreneur who wanted to find an effective natural way to keep fleas, ticks, and other pests away from her pets and home instead of putting toxic chemicals in or on them. Wonderside makes plant-powered products to keep parasites at bay without dousing your pets and property with ingredients that are harmful to them and the planet. The show is also underwritten by Evermore Pet Food, privately owned by two dedicated women who take human-edible, ethically-sourced ingredients and gently cook dog food that is then frozen in pouches and shipped right to your door. They founded and run their own company and have been doing that for 14 years and answer only to their own high standards without interference from venture capital investors. I'm also grateful to Earth Animal, also privately owned by Dr. Bob and Susan Goldstein, 
where they create holistic pet wellness products with an emphasis on their stewardship of the Pet Sustainability Coalition. Earth Animal makes a dazzling array of healing products for dogs and cats, as well as the innovative Dog Chew No Hide and the hybrid dog food Wisdom, which is sometimes all that my picky blue Weimarano Maisie will eat.